Hey, it is so good to see your faces and to be here together. I know that uh, uh, many of us are also at home just with everything going on, but I just want to say from my heart to yours, I'm so grateful that you're here and that you're here to see what it is that God has for you as we continue. Excuse me, got to do some some housework here. Um, As we continue on in our series, um, we're going to talk about the theme of unity just as we have the last couple weeks. And we're going to do that in just a couple of moments, but some interesting things have happened this week that I want to recap you on. Uh, Just in case you were under a rock, Georgia won the national championship. Anyone know about that? Um, Anyone not a football fan, but yet you still find yourself swept up in that and kind of talking about it, although you're like, yay, football, I think? I don't know. Um, But that was some exciting stuff that happened this week. Also, I became a grandpa, so that was exciting. Yes, I have a I have a new title. So I've been I've been dad. I've been pastor dad. I've been youth pastor. I've been children's pastor. Now I'm Papa Chad, like officially with my own granddaughter. So um, and look all over social media. You all should post pictures about her because she's amazing. I'm going to be that annoying grandpa, just so you know. I am. Um, I, so I, I, uh, I, of course, we're elated about that, and I know you are too. You're excited with us. Of course, you also, if you're connected to the church, you also receive the news, um, not as necessarily happy news as what maybe some of us would like, but God has called us into, or called Marla and I away from Dublin Bible Church, and my last Sunday being the pastor here will be January 30th, so that's two Sundays from now. I will not be here next week. It's not because I'm afraid of you. It's not because I'm running away from you. It's not because I'm hiding at home. I actually have been scheduled. I'm running a race in Florida, and that's been scheduled for months, and I've been training for it. So that's what's going to happen next week. Now, I want to tell you about what's happening today. As you can tell with my voice, my voice is a little bit weird and scratchy. I feel great. I don't sound great, but I feel great. And just in case I have something that I don't know that I have, I want to make sure you don't have it. That's why I'm distanced and all of that. But I, I wanted to be here and just give a personal touch because of all the things that have happened and because of the transition and all that. I thought that it would be more warm and heartfelt if I was here, vice on a screen and some undisclosed location in my study or something sitting there as if it doesn't matter. So I'm taking every precaution I can. Again, I feel great, just a little congested, don't know what it is. But um, had a uh, interesting couple days, but I'm great now. So um, let's jump into the Word of God, shall we? This, uh, this message that I have today is, again, continuing the theme of us coming together. In week one, I talked about unity, unity in diversity, and I talked about how we're diverse people, that we're different. We have different personalities, different backgrounds, different family of origin. Some of us even have different beliefs, and that's okay within the family of God. AJ brought a strong message last week. If you didn't connect or for whatever reason with AJ's message, you need to, because what AJ talked about last week, another interesting perspective of unity was really, really helpful. And what does it look like in the day and age that we live in to have unity through uncertainty? And some of you, if I'm honest, maybe you're thinking, hey, these are uncertain times for the church. Here's the thing. This church never rested upon the pastor leading this church. That God is, Jesus Christ is the senior pastor of Dublin Bible Church, and he always has been. Can we say amen to that? So the church is in good hands. We just don't know who the next leader of this church is going to be, but this church is in good hands because it's in God's hands. And what we're going to talk about today 
is, again, a different perspective of unity. But we're going to talk about unity through adversity. Unity through adversity. And I thought there's no better way uh, to introduce this idea of unity in or through adversity rather than just going into the book of Ephesians. So before I jump headlong into this and give you some other uh, really cool things about this idea of unity and what it means here and um, and some new covenant members, I want us to read the word and then we'll jump back in and we're going to unpack it together. So Ephesians 4 is where we're going to be, right smack dab in the middle of Ephesians. Ephesians has six chapters, if you will. The first three talks really about identity in Christ, and then there's a transition between chapters 3 and chapters 4 where it starts talking about unity in Christ, and what does that mean as a, as a dad? What does it mean as a, as a son or a daughter? What does that mean as a wife? What does that just mean as a person who has committed their life to Jesus Christ? What does this really mean? So there, we find ourselves right after this transition, right at the beginning of chapter 4, or right at the beginning of chapter 4, at the end of chapter 3, and what we're going to see is, is really this hinge verse in verse 1 of chapter 4. Let's read it together. As a prisoner for the Lord then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit just as you were called to one hope when you were called. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. There's a lot of one references there we're going to get back to in just a moment. But what we said at the onset of this series is really if there was a, if there was a goal, if there was something we could shoot for, and I believe that God would have for Dublin Bible Church into the future, it would be this. It's understanding that coming together is the beginning. It's simply a beginning. That's all it is. Some churches don't even come together. We, we have come together. And I think that we are, we are a church that's been rallying since COVID. We, we had some rough days, did we not? We had some rough days. We had some rough months during COVID. Some of us trying to figure out what, did, what does this look like going forward. Some still trying to figure out what it looks like going forward. But really... Most of us who are here say, okay, we decided that we're going to come together. This is simply the beginning. But, but just the, the beginning is, again, not the ending. So what do we need to do? We need to keep together because that is going to lead into progress. And then when we decide to come together and we keep together, then we work together. This for us is, is a pathway to success. This is a pathway to the church coming together to see the city and this community and neighboring communities reached for Christ. This, at the end of the day, this is what it takes for us. Not to be a bunch of scattered individuals, but for the church to understand and come to terms with what Paul talks about here in verse 1, this idea of calling and this, this matching idea of, of calling and conduct. We're going to see this in a moment. But if, if, this, if there was one thing that I would, I would hope and a desire for you is that you would take this to heart. That you don't just see the coming together just as the end of the story, but it's simply the beginning. And yet that you would decide that, you know what, no matter what, if there's, if there's uncertainty, 
if there's diversity of thought or opinion or if there's adversity, doesn't matter that we're going to keep together. We're going to stay together no matter what. And we're going to work together. That instead of letting problems or difference of opinions divide us, instead we're going to work together because that is a pathway to gospel success. That's my hope. That's my desire for you. You see, unity is something that we've all experienced in one way or the other. It's interesting. After, after watching the national championship, right? And, and the first half is different than the second half. If you watch the game, you know football. It's a different, it's a different story. At the first half, there's disunity because everybody's looking at this, this quarterback who we shouldn't be our quarterback. He, he was a walk-on. Why are we sitting these, these five-star recruits and with these better quarterbacks? And yet you have the walk-on who comes in the first half. And let's be honest, he looked like a walk-on. Did he not? Georgia fans, can we say amen to that? I mean, did he not? He looked like it. But yet, what happened? In the second half, everybody else who, who was dis, had disunity in the first half, at the end of the game and seeing what he did, they were like, that's my boy. Yeah, that's right. He's my walk-on. And then everybody came unified, and unity just, just mustered up because you win. We see this in all aspects of life. We see areas where there's unity, and we also see there's areas where there's disunity. We see it all over the political spectrum, do we not? We see it on our news feed. We see it on our social media feeds. We see this all over. The question is, what do we see within the church? Do we see, what do we see within our church? Not just the capital C church and kind of push this off on some other people or some other groups that maybe we disagree with, but what do we see within our own church? What do we see? Are we people who are, who are people of unity? I think if we're honest, maybe there's some reasons why if, if we're not people of unity like we should be, I think that maybe I have a couple ideas, five different ideas as to maybe why we are not people of unity like we ought to. And, and let's just be honest about these things that are, are going to be on the screen right now. The first one is this. If we're just come to terms and maybe these ideas just kind of jump in your head, maybe the reason why there's not a sense of unity within your own spirit is, is just being honest with some of these things is say, COVID threw me for a loop, and I, I, and I just didn't know how to come back, or I don't know how to come back. Maybe you're listening at home right now, and you haven't actually come back. And yet you're at home, and you're comfortable at home, and you're sitting in your pajamas. I mean, my pajamas are comfortable too. I get it. But maybe the reason why you don't have unity within the body is because you were just thrown for a loop, and you've actually never taken steps to move forward like you were pre-COVID. Let's be honest. Could we not? We have to be honest with ourselves if we're going to actually be people of unity. I think another thing that people say, just as a way of excusing some perhaps bad behavior, is just say, you know what, my relationship with God is personal. In other words, it's none of your business. It's just about me and God, me and God, me and God. And if you actually were to go into the New Testament, you would see that this idea of this, this solo individual walk with God was never really something that was, uh, that was really like, just built up. It was always about uh, an individual being part of a whole, being part of a body, being part of, of a community, being people of unity. Another thing is, is this. Maybe just you're in a spiritual slump and you say, you know what, I'm just I'm comfortable with my walk right now. And what I mean by this is just I'm comfortable with being in like the middle road. I don't want to be challenged I don't want to be challenged spiritually. I don't want to be challenged relationally. I, don't want, I, I just don't want to be challenged. I'm comfortable with my walk right now because ultimately 
It's just I can choose the level of growth that, that I want. So, again, these are a couple of ideas. Another one is this is just this thought of, you know what, church is somewhere I go. That's just somewhere I go. That's just my Sunday morning routine. That's where I go so my kids get some morals and values. That's just where I go to alleviate some guilt if I don't go to church or I don't tune in or, or something like that. Or, or perhaps it's this, you know, I've just, I got close to people in a church one time and, and you can fill in the blank. It's like I got close to, to, to people at church one time and, and they hurt my feelings or they said that thing or, or they made me feel a certain way or, 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 or whatever the case may be. Or we just had this sharp disagreement. Or I saw people for who they really were or they saw me for who I really am. I, I think there's, there's a lot of reasons maybe why we don't pursue unity like we ought to. But I, I want you to know this. God's desire for us, and we see this clearly in the Scripture, is that we'd be people, like the Apostle Paul talks about to the church in Ephesus, that no matter what, that they would live a life worthy of the calling that that Christ has for them, right to verse 1. I'm so glad that there are, are people here in our fellowship who decide, you know what, I'm I'm going to maintain a spirit of unity within the church so much so that I'm going to become covenant members of this community. And we have actually the, the, the newest covenant members are Steve and Marilyn. Would you guys stand up, please? The newest covenant members of Dublin Bible Church. Just over the last two weeks, we can give them a round of applause for making that commitment. Thank you guys very much. I want you to know, Marilyn, I came this close to passing a microphone to you just in case you wanted to say something. Um, that was actually maybe Steve's idea. You guys can talk about that over lunch. Um, of course, I'm kidding. But, um, but I'm so I'm grateful that, that we have people who are modeling to say, you know what, I want to be a person of unity. I want to be a person of commitment to the local body. And this is still happening here at the church. So I don't want to paint a negative picture by the, the five things that were seen on the screen, and now you're like all in your feels, you know, about these things, and maybe you've identified where you are. I want you to know that's not everybody's story, and that's not your story all the time. That may be where you are in a moment, but it doesn't mean that's where you're going to be for a lifetime. Amen? And, and we see people growing and taking steps of faith, and I simply want you to do the same. Whatever that step of faith is, to give your life to Christ, maybe to be baptized, maybe it is to become a covenant member. And maybe it's to commit to community. Maybe it's to commit to serving. Maybe it's to commit to giving. Whatever it is. But I want you to take that necessary and next step. One of the things that, that is, is really key to understanding this idea of unity is, is this. Unity is something that we maintain. It's not something that we make. Unity is something that we maintain. It's not something that we make. It's kind of like our bodies. I, I did nothing to make my own body. And the older I get, and I'm in training for a long race right now, and I ran the, the, the longest distance I ever ran last weekend. It was really long, and it was really ugly, but I had this, this reminder. I'm like, wow, maybe I am a grandpa. I don't know. <laughs> but I, I did nothing to make my own body. But now I'm becoming year by year, day by day, 
I'm becoming more aware that I have to maintain my body. This is the same when it comes to unity in the body of Christ. What Paul talks about is these seven different things that he, he, he makes reference to one. This is the work of God bringing people together. So even in the midst of God bringing people together, in him being the one who makes unity, we are simply people who are helping to and to cooperate with God to maintain unity. But I would be remiss not to ask this question and have this question posed to you. How do we manage the tension between loving God and loving people when they aren't very lovable? Because this is this not where the rubber meets the road. I mean, how do we do this? Like, it's one thing for me to get up and, and just read the scripture and think, oh, man, it was, it was so perfect. And they probably, I bet after they got this, they probably sang Kumbaya hand in hand around a circle. Right? But they didn't. There are people who had real struggles like we have real struggles. So how do we manage this tension between loving God like we want to, like we desire to, and loving people when some people aren't very lovable? We're going to see in the scripture some different ways to do that. And I believe that God is going to speak to you today. I believe just as, as we were singing the amazing song, Cornerstone, and AJ just offered up that, that brilliant and beautiful prayer that the Spirit of God, I pray, is just going to touch you and he's going to just speak to you in such a way that's unique to you based off of this passage. Let's go back into it. Verse 1. As a prisoner for the Lord, then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you've received. So Paul says, as a prisoner for the Lord. In other words, he's saying, hey, he's trying to leverage up his condition as he's in a, a Roman under Roman imprisonment, not in a, in a prison behind bars like we would think. He's, he's actually in a, in a home, in like home imprisonment, where he can still send letters. It's, it's a different type of deal than what we see as incarceration in our country. But he, he now is leveraging his condition, and notice that he says, as a prisoner for the Lord. He says, I know full well why I am imprisoned in Rome. I know why this is. Because I'm a messenger for the Lord. And out of that, he says, then I urge. This word urge is an interesting word. It's the, it's the Greek word parakaleo. And it means to plead or to beg. So you sense the the passion that Paul renders this letter that I think is, is lost in the English language without understanding the, just the power and intensity of that word parakaleo, that he's pleading, he's begging, separated, miles and miles and miles of separating him from where his location is to where the church in Ephesus is. But he says, hey, I'm doing all I can do. I've just spent three chapters of this, this letter telling you, I rem just helping you to remember who it is that you are in Christ. And it says, based off of who you are in Christ, now I'm urging you. I'm pleading with you. I'm begging you to be people of unity. 
to be united no matter what adversity you face. No matter what diversity comes in. No matter what uncertainty comes in. To be people of unity. The word worthy is interesting too. It's, it's the word axios and it means equal weight. And it means one's calling as being a follower of Jesus, not one's calling in some super spiritual sense like the, the, the only people who have callings are pastors and missionaries who get called away. This is saying every follower of Jesus, we unpack this in the Theology of Work series. If you missed that, you can go back. It's on YouTube. It's in our podcast feed. The name of the series was Off to Work I Go. I talked about this this word, that the word vocation, is connected to this other word called voca, which has roots in the word calling. That if you're a follower of Jesus, your calling, no matter what your vocation is, but your calling is supposed to be woven in, and you being a person of faith should be woven through the fabric of every aspect of your life, including your work life. But this word axios... Or worthy, it means equal weight. So let's talk about this for a minute. That means that if we're to actually live in the reality of this verse, this command, really, if we're to actually do what God's word says, that means that you can't be relying upon somebody else to carry your weight. That means it's equal weight, which means that you and I are responsible for doing what it is that we are personally responsible to do to carry our weight equally. How do we manage the tension between loving God and loving people that, are, that aren't very lovable? And what we need to do is commit early is to say, you know what? I'm going to trust God, and I'm going to commit to God my walk with God. I'm going to confess before God. I'm going to repent of my sins any time that my conduct doesn't match my calling. That any time that there's, there's something in my heart that makes me not love the person in front of them or not want to forgive the person that who's in front of me or I don't want to be gentle with the person who's in front of me or any time that I just have an outburst of anger or I want to withdraw or I want to be passive-aggressive or I just want to be overly aggressive, any time that I sense in my being that I'm going to do that, I'm going to pause in that moment. I'm going to confess that before Almighty God knowing that He trusts me and that He loves me. He's already forgiven me of that, so I'm going to confess that as sin. I'm going to repent of that sin because I'm committing that no matter what, I'm going to carry my weight, the equal weight of seeing to it that my calling and that my conduct match up. Notice, again, this, this idea of unity is not something that we make. It's simply something that we maintain you see the seven elements of unity right here in this passage. I love how, how Paul unpacks this. We're just going to unpack this just for a moment. The seven elements of unity right here in this passage. He says that there's one body. First thing he says, he says there's one body. 
This is making reference to all believers everywhere. This is something that he also mentioned several times throughout Ephesians. In Ephesians 1, 23, 2, 16, and 3, 6, over and over and over, Paul is making the point clear that there's one body, that this, this unity that God creates, it's, it's his body, it's the body of Christ. Also, there's one spirit, he makes reference to this, also in chapter 2, verse 22. This is what that passage says. And in him, you two are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. So there's one body and there's one spirit. He reminds us that there's one hope. This in regarding our, our future, that the Christian's future. We should be living in longing in the reality that there is going to be a future that we're not going to be destined to the, to, the, to the sinful state of this world. Instead, that there's going to be a day where we step into glory, we see God face to face, and we can dwell where there's no pain, and there's no tears, and there's no more mourning, and there's no grief. There's only celebration and joyful expression together, united. That's our hope. That's the reason why Christians don't get all bogged down and we shouldn't get all bogged down with what's going on in the world. I'm not saying that we should just stick our head in the sand and pretend that, that, that we can just live separate than ever, everybody else and pretend that we, we don't have some sort of involvement. Of course, if you listen to me for years, you know that I believe that we have to have involvement in all aspects of our life. This is living for the glory of God and the good of the world but yet not to be so bogged down in the mire like the world is because our hope is in Christ and our hope is held out by him, in him, and one day we will be with him. Amen? But also one Lord. One Lord. This refers to Christ himself, of course, him being the head of the church. Ephesians 1, 22 and 23 makes reference to this. Also Colossians 1, 18 there's one Lord. Why are we maintaining? Or how is it that we, that we have this unity? It's because God has made a way for us to have this unity. We're simply maintaining what God created for us. By making us one body, having one spirit, one hope, one Lord, that being Jesus Christ, one faith. A faith in Christ that is exercised by all Christians everywhere. And then one baptism. This, this sometimes gets referred to as just the baptism of the Holy Spirit that comes upon salvation. Other theologians seem to think that this was a baptism that is not the spiritual baptism that comes at, you know, that comes at the point of salvation, but also saying being identified with the baptism, meaning the uh, being immersed just identifying that one is with Christ. And then he says, the last of the seven, that there's one God and Father. And all means all believers, not all mankind. This is a letter to believers. He says, all. It's this encompassing idea. The last one is this encompassing idea. There's one God and Father. So God made unity. We're simply 
trying to have this, this unity by axios, living a life worthy of the calling that God has for us. What's, what's so interesting is we see this in other aspects of life, too. We expect that, that calling and conduct match up when we start talking about the police force. We expect police, uh, policemen or policewomen, when they work, it's supposed to be, they're an example of the law, are they not? And they are also under the law like we're under the law. And yet, in, in their situation, if, even within their own profession, if they don't abide by the law, they're held to the standard of the law, and we expect them to live at a standard that even if a police officer is not on duty, that they would step up in a crisis moment, that they would operate as policemen, although they haven't actually checked into work. We also expect the same thing from doctors. We expect a doctor to offer aid to someone in an emergency situation, not even if they're a, a type of a doctor that's in a clinic from 8 to 5. We expect them that if they're at Kroger at 7 o'clock at night going to pick up milk, like amen, like we all have to go pick up milk, right? So even, even doctors have to go pick up milk and stuff for their homes or for their families rather. So in those situations, we expect a doctor not to stand there next to the auto mechanic who says, I don't know what, I don't know what we're supposed to do. Looks, I don't know, have a hard time breathing. What do we expect the doctor to do? They've actually taken an oath to step up and help that person. So we see this in other aspects of life. But it's even elevated even more in the scripture. This, this reality that, that one's calling and conduct should match. After all, of all of the, the seven things that we're united around, that God made a way for us, now let's look in the passage and see four different ways, practical ways, that we can maintain this unity through adversity. Again, right from this passage, the four virtues that bring unity through adversity. Starting in verse 2, be completely humble and gentle, be patient, bearing with one another in love. The first one is humble, being humble, being people of humility. Of course, this one is the hardest one, so I'm so thankful that Paul put this first, you know. It, it, when, I, when I look at this word, I automatically think, I can't do it. And I believe that's the point, is that I can't do this under my own strength. Notice... that the Apostle Paul makes all these references to these seven elements of unity. And none of those are dependent solely on ourselves. It's all going back to God who made unity possible in the first place. So when we look at, at being completely humble, I, I want to break this down into three different levels quickly. When it comes to humility... I think it's Christ first, understanding that forgiven people forgive people. So understanding what does that mean? How can we have a, a heart of, of humility, be humble people? I think it's understanding where we came from first. In Romans 5, verse 10, it says this, For if, while we were God's enemies, 
we were reconciled to him through the death of his son. How much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through this life? It starts with Christ, understanding where we were. The, the common thread that the base of the cross is level for all of us. It, it doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter where you've come from. It doesn't matter your socioeconomic status. We all have a place of need of God in needing what Jesus has given for us. So Paul says in Romans 5.10, For if while we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son, how much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through this life? I think to be humble people, it starts with Christ first, understanding that forgiven people will forgive people, and it leads into this, it's people next. Romans 12, verse 16 says, Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. Do not be conceited. So it starts with God understanding that do we need to humble ourselves before God, knowing that there was a day that we were enemies of God. Again, it's, it's people next. To be people of harmony with one another. Do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. Make no mistake, a person of low position for you is not somebody who's poor. Anyone of low position could be someone who you think is less than you. Not just about, it's not about money. It's about any situation where you think you're better, you think you know more, you think you're smarter than, you think you're blank than someone else. This is what the Apostle Paul is saying. It starts with Christ understanding that we were, we were once enemies of the cross. We were once enemies of God. And Jesus died on our behalf anyway. And then after that, forgiven people will forgive people. So to be people of forgiveness is, is to be people of, of unity, maintaining this unity. Being willing to associate with people of low position and do not be conceited. I love this, this definition of compassion. It's this. Compassion is not the relationship between the healer and the wounded. It's a relationship between equals. So if, if we're to be people of compassion, it isn't because we're better than somebody else and say, well, now I can go, I can do this for you on your behalf. It's understanding, no, 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 we're just people. It's just a relationship, not between a healer and, and the wounded. It's just, it's a relationship between equals. Being people who are just human beings. And I think after after we, we, go, we, we go from this, this place where we start with Christ and then we look at others and then I think we can land upon ourselves. And I'll summarize it with this. I've said this before. I don't have to unpack this too much. Humility is not thinking less of yourself. It's thinking of yourself less. That, that's what this is. It's not self-loathing. It's, it's not... You know, poor, poor, pitiful me. It's, it's simply having a good perspective of self. If we're going to love our neighbors as ourself, we have to first know who we were 
when we were enemies of God and know who we are as now being friends of God. And so now we're going to press on through this passage. Gentle. This also translates, start, starting with people who are humble, again, it begins with Christ, and then it's others, and then it's ourselves. Keeping that right place. This word gentleness, it also translates into the word meekness, and it means power under control. I've talked about this a lot as well. So I want to make this as practical as I can as I talk about this. So gentleness and meekness. Here's four different ideas uh, about that. If you are to be a person who's gentle or meek, it means this. It means that person doesn't have to get the last word. They don't have to get the last word. If you're going to be a gentle or meek person, it means that you may have the last word in your mind, but it doesn't need to come out of your mouth. Another thing is this. You won't have to argue a point to be understood. You won't have to argue that point to be understood. The third is some, someone who's just not easily offended. That's a person who's gentle or meek. They're just not easily offended. These are people who just extend grace. They understand that they themselves were enemies of God. They understand what Jesus did for them. They see their own imperfections, not in a, in a pathway of self-loathing, but true humility before God. And the last is this. They can agree to disagree and still be friends. They don't need to persuade somebody else to think and believe exactly like them just for them to be friends. They can come to, they, they come to terms with, you know what? Hey, we disagree on this, and that's okay. We can still have coffee together. We can still share a meal together. We can still hang out together. We don't have to agree on all these things because the Spirit of God has developed a sense of, of gentleness and meekness within me. This is the work of God in me. Wayne Barber has this great quote bringing together these ideas and the next. He says, where humility is the right attitude towards self and gentleness is the right attitude towards God, Patience is the right attitude towards other people. That's why the next in reference here is patience. Simply put, again, we talk about these, these terms a lot. But simply put, it's the self-restraint which does not hastily retaliate a wrong. If we're going to be people of unity, it starts with humility it's people of gentleness and meekness. It's the power under restraint, power under restraint of the Holy Spirit of God. It's people who are patient under this, this self, this spiritual restraint that does not hastily or quickly retaliate a wrong, which means just because you've offended me doesn't mean that I need to go back and just offend you, that I can be patient I can be patient with you because God is patient with me. Has God been patient with you? Say amen if he's been patient with you. Has he given you everything that you deserve? No. Has he given you a break when you probably, when you yourself say, I don't even know if I needed that. I don't know if I deserve that break. That's the same posture and heart's attitude that he wants us to have towards other people. 
And the last is this, I don't believe is going to be on the screen. That was my fault. Right from this passage. Verse 2 says, be completely humble. We talked about that. Gentle. Be patient. And the next one again, right from verse 2. Bear with one another in love. Bear with one another in love. And to bear with each other, it means to put up with. How much more practical can we get? But not only does it mean to put up with, because that too seems like it's an aggressive posture. I'll put up with you. I can only put up with you for so long. But it means two things. It means to put up with, and also it means to hold up. So consider that. So at the same time, sure, you offend me. And and we're going to offend each other. We're going to have differences of opinion. But at the same time, I'm not going to let those differences, I'm not going to let adversity, I'm not going to let uncertainty unravel the unity that God made. So sure, we're going to bear with one another. So there's going to be times where I I put up with you, but at the same time I put up with you, I'm also going to hold you up. I'm going to hold you up. I'm going to give you the benefit of the doubt. Because God gave me the benefit of the doubt. I'll end with this quote from James McDonald. He said this, We hold up brothers and sisters when they stumble, and we hold them down when they want to stray. We hold up brothers and sisters when they stumble. And we hold them down when they want to stray. Because what are we trying to do? Not just for a series. And not just for a lifetime. We're trying to instill some truths for generations. It's that we would come together. And that we would work together. And that we would stay together. No matter what.